Welcome back to the Jesus Magnet Podcast. I'm your host, Joel, and today we have David with us. How are you doing, David? Hi. I'm so stoked to have you on the podcast, David, and um, we're actually staying at, at uh, this incredible retreat for um, people that struggle with addictions and things like that, and you're here um, sort of, I suppose, discipling those people that come here a little bit, eh? We're sort of house house parents to the to the women. The yeah. women's, uh, we live in a thing called the cottage, yeah. and that's that houses the women that, awesome. are, that are here, yeah. That's so cool. I mean, what a powerful ministry to do, you know, to to disciple the broken, really, and, and to be able to pray with them and, and break those addictions, break those chains. I just think it's really cool. I'm I'm also the technical director here, so much of my work at the moment, because officially we're not open, uh, much of my work is, is in re- rebuilding this place because mm. it was sort of a bush camp and it's sort of been left left to uh, deteriorate over 20 years. Yeah. And uh, so much of my work here is is, is practical mm. as well. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, everybody here is doing such good work. It's really cool. I definitely want to come back in, a, in like a year or something and see the change will be quite – I hope you guys are taking a lot of photos because – yeah. Yeah, the change will be quite extraordinary. Um, so, yeah, thank you, David, for joining us. Um, we'll start with wherever your testimony begins. I'll let you pick and choose where the beginning of that is. And um, I'm just excited to hear it. I might jump in here and there with a different question. Sure. But, um, yeah, the mic's all yours. Uh, well, unlike most of the people who are in this place who've had drug drug addiction and alcohol addiction and all kinds of things like that. Um, I don't come from that sort of background at all. I was brought up in a Christian family. My father was an evangelist and preacher, preached up and down New Zealand. So I was brought up hearing the gospel a lot. Mm. And many, many times when I was thinking, say the ages of seven, eight, nine, ten, I would, I would say, I'd get home from one of these meetings where I've been hearing Dad preaching Alfire and Brimstone, and I would, um, I would say, "Well, God, if if you're not in my life now, please come in." You know, <laughs> I don't want to go to hell. Uh, so that that would have happened many, many times, um, uh, but it really wasn't. You know, despite the fact that I I believed in God and I, I believed in my heart and I'd asked Him into to come into my heart. It wasn't till when I was about 13, I went to a, a Christian youth camp at Narawakia and people knew who knew my dad thought, well, this is his son, so we'll get him to give us his testimony, you know, uh, at, at a sort of like a Saturday night thing. And I'd never done that ever in my life before, never told anybody that I was a Christian. So I dutifully got up in front of all of these young youngsters, 13-year-olds, and and declared, well, one night after listening to my father preach, I asked Jesus into my life. And while that was true, <laughs> I didn't mention the part that it was multiple times. <laughs> um, but I, still, I declared that I was a Christian yeah, come and, on. and that Jesus had come into my life, uh, which I have no doubt that he did. Um, but it was after that camp that I knew that he had come into my life. Mm. It was the assurance. I had the assurance 
of salvation. And it wasn't until some time later that I, I realized that Romans 10.9 says that if we, if we believe in our heart um, that, that Jesus rose from the dead and if we speak with our mouth, uh, we confess with our mouth, uh, then, then um, we are, we're saved. And I didn't realize that verse was in there, that it required these two things, a heart belief mm. and a speaking out. So there's a, there's a very important to speak out and yeah. to declare uh, who we are. Um, so that really, really, really was a big... So how old were you at that point? I was about, um, oh, 13. 13. 13, yeah. Um, wow. I mean, I think that's such a vital age, actually, to to get your heart sort of hooked because it's right before those, like... Teenage years. Ter- terrible te- <laughs> yeah. teenage temptation years. Yeah, <laughs> um, and, and becoming a teenager can be really hard. I remember going to my first parties uh, when I was about 15 years old and, and feeling there was a sort of a, a them and me... Uh, I don't know if anybody identifies with that, but you know, sort of feeling like I find that that's the spirit and the flesh are enmity with each other. Well, and you're actually kind of, and it slipped into a different world. Yeah. Well, I when you don't have confidence and you go to oh, yeah. go go to a party, and you sort of said, "There's them and me." Yeah. And 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 maybe I missed something, or you know, it's sort of a, a lack of confidence. Mm. And um, and I think a lot of teenagers sort of. Yeah, uh, identify with that. Um, everybody was trying to be cool and popular and trying to fit in. Uh, I often felt on the outer. My brother Ray used to call me the quiet one, and I was so shy. These were difficult times. I remember climbing a a huge high tension pylon down Aldersgate Road in Hillsborough. It was one of these really. It was in a dip, so it was a really high one because it had to try and keep the lines straight. Um, and I climbed right to the top of it. It was a crazy, crazy dumb thing to do. Um, and it was right outside my friend John Dawson's house. He's from Wyoming. Uh, one of the big, it was, uh, yeah, it really was one of the big ones. I, I climbed right to the very top, near the top wire. Fortunately, it's an earth wire on the top, so it wasn't it wasn't really that bad, but I got pretty close to it. Um but I'm sure now, looking back, I was just trying to get attention, mm. and this is those teenage years, you know. And mm. um, and then one evening later, I, I was hooning around, and I had a 1932 Austin 12.6. Mm. That's 12 horsepower, six cylinder, so <laughs> not very efficient engines in those days. Uh, it looked like a Woody, uh, one of those, you know, surfing Woody they used to drive around. Um. Sometimes I just like to let off steam by driving around certain streets like a circuit near our house, way too fast. <laughs> um, yeah, not too proud of that either. <laughs> but I'd let off steam so, that way. Sounds like a bit I, of a loose unit, eh? <laughs> well, I got it. I got this car when I was 14, mm. and I got my license when I was 15. Yeah. Uh, and you got a car first, and then your license. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I got it for forty five pounds in those days. Oh wow. <laughs> and it was it was nineteen thirty two, so it was already was a vintage then. <laughs> and everyone today would think it was really vintage. <laughs> um 
and anyway, one particular night, my brother had it upset me, um, and the cause will remain a discreet secret. Um, anyway, I was tearing along, really upset, and God seemed to speak to me very clearly. It was sort of something very sovereign, something he'd done, had nothing to do with me. Um, and he said he loved me, not just the world, because I, I knew what John 3.16 said, God so loved the world that he, that he gave his only son. But this was very personal, it was that he loved me. Uh, and suddenly I had a revelation that I was loved from above and totally accepted by him. It was as if his love just completely enveloped me as I was hooning around these roads. I mean, just a sovereign thing that God did, wow. you know. Um, now, the magnitude of his, his acceptance and love was simply enormous. Uh, and it had a huge effect on me. I realized then I could go to parties and not worry if they accepted me or not. I was accepted and loved by the King of Kings. Mm. Uh, I was equal to anybody at any party and maybe even better off because of knowing this love. Um, that's if they didn't know my Jesus. Uh, the change was dramatic and instant. The next night I was at a youth group party at somebody's house and everybody was asking me what had happened um, gone was the shyness the girls all said I was so confident now what could possibly have changed in me and yes confidence is attractive <laughs> and from that day on I grew stronger in my identity in Jesus and I was able to stand up in public and speak some would even say I'm too outspoken now <laughs> gone from the shy guy. Uh, however, uh, I'm, I'm unafraid to speak with conviction now as I'm loved from above. My entire security and identity is in him. Uh, discovering the love of God for you personally, I believe, is one of the most freeing things that can happen to a person. Um, so that was in my... Teenage years. There's a wonderful quote from uh, Billy Graham, and uh, he says, I've never met a person that has regretted surrendering to Jesus. Yeah. I just think that's amazing. I mean, I might have butchered the quote a little bit, but it's along those lines. Yeah. And um, I just, what you just said there, you know, like it was this freeing thing that happened to you. Yeah. You know, and. And why? Because you actually un you fully understood, and your eyes were open to your true identity. Yeah, I'm not I'm not just somebody's son. I'm the King of Kings, yeah. and the Lord of Lords, son. You know, it's amazing. The spirit of adoption. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, in my teens, I was always on beach missions at Christmas, and I went hard after God as best I could. However, many of my Christian friends around me that recently been saved. Um, they had what seemed like amazing testimonies, and we would go witnessing, and that, I'd mostly listen to them sharing their testimonies because they had been into all kinds of things and God had saved them out of it, and it was really good for them to declare it was amazing. But that was not my story. Um, so I, I really wanted God to give me a testimony because I wanted to preach with conviction and, and speak you know, really, really, really from knowing God. Um, 
I was certainly not going to get into sin and trouble just so that God could rescue me. That was a no-go zone. Uh, now, this is where Ian Grant from Youth for Christ came into the picture. Now, Youth for Christ, which was a bigger organisation in those days, a national movement, they had an annual birthday rally in the Wellington Town Hall. This rally had a huge impact on my life, and here is why. Ian Grant was the speaker, and he made reference to David Wilkerson, the author of The Cross and the Switchblade. You know that book? Oh, okay. Should be compulsory reading for all Christians. <laughs> the Cross and He was a good... He was a... A pretty straight past who went to the the uh, New York's uh, mm. slums, etc., and work with the gangs mm. in New York. You know what? The amount of books that I'm told to read these <laughs> days is <laughs> it's. Uh, I feel like I need a library now. And <laughs> I tell you what, I I do read a lot, yep. and <laughs> I've read a lot of Christian books. And there's still an infinitely. I feel. I feel every time that we we talk to people, there's always a book that I haven't read. Okay, well look it up on YouTube. Yeah, Cross and Switchblade was made into a movie. Oh, cool. Oh, that uh, makes it easy. Uh, <laughs> it's a little bit Hollywoodish in the movie. <laughs> yeah. It's quite different from the book in in that regard. But uh, Pat Boone. Yeah. Do you know Pat Boone? Yeah. Okay. He was he was playing David Wilkerson at the time. Um, anyway, the sermon was called The Cross and the Butter Knife, which was a sort of take off of this. Everybody knew what the cross and the switchblade was, switchblade being what, what the gang members used uh, to fight with and rumble with. And but, my, but this story was about the cross and the butter knife representing, representing a person who didn't use a switchblade at all but used a butter knife when he was at the table, you know, really straight. And it, and it, he had me on that. It was, it was, this was my life, you know, as a Christian growing up. I wasn't into gangs and I wasn't into all of this other stuff. Yeah. So you could probably, you know, he, he had me at that point. Um, I can really relate to that actually. Um, my, so I, I did get into a little bit of trouble with the police and I've got a, a testimony in that area. And then I've got my brother, um, Marcus, who he said to me before, he said he doesn't really feel like he's got a testimony. He's always been steadfast for God. He's always gone to church. He's always prayed. He's always read the word. Yeah. He's just all, he's just never never stuffed up, really, you know, like and never never been he's been tempted, but he's never gone down the track of temptation, you know, like he's just kept God first, always. Yeah. And he was saying, like, I really don't feel like I've got a testimony. And it's actually part of my testimony is something that he said. In fact, the pinnacle part of my testimony is something he said to me. And it was because I knew he was grounded that what he was saying held yeah. value. Yeah. And, you know, I, I have tremendous respect for my brother and uh, both my brothers. Um, but with what my brother Marcus said to me, um, I mean, I'll share it really quick while you um, look through your notes. Um, and he shared this a small story with me when I was going through a rough patch and I wasn't really walking with God. And he said that there's a man and he's on a fence. And on one side of the fence there's God and on the other side of the fence there's Satan. And each day goes by, he doesn't choose which side of the fence to stand on. And then one day he looks up and God's gone. And he, and he looks over at Satan and he starts talking to Satan and he says, where's God? 
And Satan says, well, he's gone. You didn't choose him. And the man on the fence says, yeah, but I didn't choose you either. I haven't chosen anyone. I'm on the fence. And Satan looks at the fence and he says, that, I own the fence. (laughs) And that shocked me to my core. (laughs) Uh And it was my brother who shared this with me. And I don't know, it was just the weight of his words that... um. The fact that he was like he just knew you know, he knew God and he and what he's talking when he's talking about God like I'm listening yeah. and it was that all right I I really need to get this right because this is not just anybody telling me this this he's speaking truth and he's speaking straight to my heart. Well, Ian said, uh, if you were brought up in a Christian home, then this message was for you, and I was on the edge of my seat at that point. <laughs> He talked of a real butter knife young man, David, from the Bible. David didn't even, didn't even get to mix with his brothers, let alone party downtown. Instead, he was responsible for looking after sheep. So he spent a lot of time on his own and even slept with them. Uh, but David had a heart after God and spent time with God. Many of the Psalms we have today came from that time. I guess he looked up at night and saw the amazing creation of the stars above him. You know, just a sky full of stars. It's pretty amazing when you when you do get out. It's like in the country here where we are now. Mm. It's, it, it's just a different perspective than being in the city with a whole bunch of people. Um, Ian Grant said, if, young Christ, if any young Christian was prepared to mean business with God, God would bring along experiences they needed that they needed to be able to witness with power and authority. Mm. He uh, he really had me then because you know I, I was concerned about having a testimony, and he he was saying that if you meant business with God, and God would bring along experiences to give it to you. Mm. Now with David, first David encountered a bear, and later a lion. He killed them both, and realized that God had enabled him to do that. So it was supernatural. He said so to King Saul a little bit later on, those of you who know the story. Mm. David was being prepared for the next major encounter, who was Goliath, a giant, huge giant. David was able to say that Goliath would suffer the same fate as the lion and the bear because God was on his side and had proved it. Uh, uh, Many satanic forces can array against us, and problems and situations, and they make a lot of noise. But we can get indignant like David did. He got quite upset that this giant was was arraying himself against the the, the host of Israel, and, uh, and it made him very angry, very indignant. And sometimes we need to get indignant, I think, and get upset with Satan that he dare do some of the things that he's trying to do, either to us or through us or for us. Um, and we can even get angry with them and stand against them in the power of the name of Jesus. I meant business with God and asked him to bring along experiences so that I could witness with authority. Um, my life and and the, the, the stories I could tell um, are a tribute to, to God and who was faithful to answer that prayer on that night. Uh, and you know, so I said, God, I want to mean business with you. Uh, and if you promise you, you make, you'll give me testimonies, and make, you know, I'm really going to make mean business with you. 
Um, a verse he gave me at the time was Daniel 11.32. And that verse says, The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And that's an interesting word, isn't it? Exploits. Mm. It, I took it to mean adventures. And I was a kind of a guy who loved adventures. I still do. I still love to see things for the first time. I still like to go on adventures. And and he said that that verse was saying that if you know, if you get to know your God, He will He will you will be able to do great exploits, have great adventures. And that, you know, I really took that promise to heart. Now since that time in Wellington, just to show how amazing God is, He has taken me around the world. I've been right around the world. Uh, and I've been to America at least 10 times, and I've been to seven world conferences of the Full Gospel Businessmen. These are massive conferences. They were at the time. Uh, and I went with Bill Sabrisky, who was a speaker, and, and family, where there would be about 15,000 people in the room, uh, big stadiums, and, and they'd be televised to different parts of, of America, at one stage, they linked three different networks. They linked their satellites and it covered the whole of the states. Uh, normally the networks over there don't, don't link together at all, but these are three different Christian networks which linked together. And I remember going off track here, but I remember going travelling right across uh, by train across Canada and after after this thing, and down through Seattle, went to a little shop in Seattle where they were selling donuts, which we didn't really have a, particularly at the time. I think they've got donut stores here now. But, and I'm those, pretty sure they're Dunkin' Donuts, which yeah. are still from America. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, it was one of those sorts of stores, and I walked into the store, and the lady said, I saw you on television last week. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is like, what? Well, how far is it across America, but... 3,000 miles, something? Yeah, 3,000 miles, I think it is. And she said, I saw you. You walked on stage with your family and and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, wow, isn't that amazing? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so because I was was faithful to God and he was faithful to me, he gave me all of these experiences. Like during those times I met the who's who, of uh, Christian leaders around mm. the world, like Oral Roberts, Kenneth Hagen, Kenneth Copeland, at the time were the top people in, in Christendom at the time, top speakers, etc., and many others uh, at after-meeting social gatherings of the speakers and their families. Mm. So we got together to actually meet these people. Wow! I can remember eating some finger food, which I thought was the most incredible chicken I'd ever had. Turned out to be frogs' legs. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but it certainly tasted like chicken. Um, as a, I, I became a youth pastor later on, and as a youth pastor, I've, I've had to face many lions and bears, mm. and know God being faithful and setting me free from those things and in those situations, um, and a few Goliaths as well. I was actually going to ask you, um, what. Was there any times where your faith was truly tested? Um, you know, you might have been going uh, around with, you know, Bill Sipritsky and, and, and all that into the different conferences, but and then also going into being a youth pastor. 
But which times of these ministries was your faith actually tested? Oh, lots of times when I was, at, when I became a youth pastor for, for a while, at first I was on a, an evangelism team connected with the church. And we were living in faith, just believing God to give us finance. Um, and they were the, some of the most productive years of my life uh, in terms of seeing a lot of, a lot of people saved mm. and changed and transformed. I was working in three high schools um, and I eventually became the youth pastor. But uh, many, many of the times during those, during the times as a youth pastor, I came up against all kinds of situations uh, where God had to turn up or else I was in big trouble. I can remember standing between Black Power and the mongrel mob who decided they were going to have a rumble on on our that's a fight um, so in, in our churchyard um, just for those outside of New Zealand there are two gangs in New right, Zealand right uh, and um, they turned up why they turned up I mean this is in Hillsborough which is sort of a fairly fairly well-to-do area not a you know n- not a, a I don't know how to describe that not, not a place where you'd expect to find gangs you know mm. but they turned up and um, what do you do in a situation like that? <laughs> well, it's almost like be- a Goliath because, because well, <laughs> yeah, well, well, maybe maybe a bear or a lion. Because I mean, David, can you imagine facing a lion and a bear? I mean, you've seen those things that the bears will rip you to shreds. So will lions. Same sort of deal with claws and teeth. And I mean, you you just had to be, you know. Taking them on, it boggles my mind just thinking about it. You know, it had to be supernatural. Yeah, do you think his faith built in that moment as well? Because it was God, yes. you're showing up or I'm dead sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, well, when I walked out between these gangs, um, it was sort of like an authority came over me. Mm. And and you become who God has made you. Mm. You know, he's, he's given us, you know, he equips us. And... Um, and I just remember I had authority, and I was just telling these leaders of these gangs, I say, "Not on my patch, fellas." You know, and it spoke with such authority. <laughs> these guys were just like, <laughs> and, and I remember going back inside afterwards, thinking, "Wow, what was that? Who was that?" You know? <laughs> Have I got a mark on the back of my head now? <laughs> <laughs> so your work, you've, you mentioned the other night when we were having dinner. That you got the opportunity, I mean the amazing opportunity, to film uh, with Bill Sapritsky, but to film and witness miracles. I did. What's one of the coolest miracles that you have seen right in front of you? Oh, how to choose which one. Um, I've seen many people, I've seen people get out of wheelchairs um, that have had Severe, degrading back problems, um, and run up and down. I've seen, I've seen lots of healing miracles, but I think one of the most amazing things is seeing people delivered of demons, and seeing demons speaking out of people, mm. but cowering to the name of Jesus when Jesus's mm. authority of Jesus is used. Seeing them uh, having to obey. Um, the name of Jesus. That's amazing. Remember the 70 that Jesus sent out? Mm. Um, they came back saying, they went so much talking about healing and they would have seen a lot of people healed. But they said, even the demons 
bowed down to the name of Jesus when mm. we use that name. Uh, tremendous authority. And so I began to develop, uh, when I was a youth pastor, began to develop and enter into this authority that we have in the name of Jesus. And we all have to learn how to, how to move in authority. You don't just get it when you become a Christian. You've got to mm. move in faith and grow in faith into these things. But sometimes when I was a youth pastor, I was confronted in situations where I just had to do something, you know. Mm. Um, I'm just thinking of one, I call this little story Blood on the Floor. Um, <clears throat> as part of a full-time evangelistic team at Hillsborough Baptist Church called the Dunamis Team, we were involved in a coffee bar outreach, amongst other things, and a backroom place of the church that we'd sort of made. Uh, we'd started to get a bit of a reputation, um, and Pastor David Metcalf, who was part-time lecturing at the Lincoln Road Bible College, had arranged for some of the students to come along to one of our regular coffee bar nights for some practical training. We met for prayer, and I told them we were expecting a fairly quiet night that night for various reasons, but that was not to be. Uh, we had a table tennis table and a pool table as part of the activities and a whole bunch of boxes that you used as tables for having coffee on and Milo and stuff like that. Um, and we ran it on a Friday night. Um, all of a sudden there was a blood-curdling scream and shouting across the room. I vaulted the servery, didn't even bother to go around the doorway. I jumped across the servery because I was in the kitchen and I ran to investigate the commotion. There was blood all over the floor and four guys were hanging on to one of my workers. Apparently he had taken offence at something one of the, the boot boys had said there was a Gangs around called the Boot Boys in those days. They had boots and short hair. and Anyway, they'd, they'd come into the coffee bar that night and he'd taken offence at something that one of them had said when they were playing around the pool table. He'd used the pool table rest bar, you know, that cross thing that you rest your pool, oh, yeah. pool stick on, and he whacked him with it, with a sharp point, you know, on his, on his head. Wow. This is one of my workers. Oh dear Looks um, like a little cross doesn't it Yeah it does It does on the end of a stick um, The guy was screaming He was holding his head on the couch With blood all over his hands uh, My worker whose name was Barry Was trying to give this guy some some more And it took four guys to hold him Don't ever tell me Christians can't have demons This is one of my Christian workers Mm. And it was really demonic what he was doing. Um, anyway, this all happened in a matter of seconds. And as I got there, I pointed my finger at Barry and I said, In the name of Jesus, spirit of violence, I command you to be still and be quiet. Instantly, Barry stopped manifesting and was still and quiet. What was really funny was the Bible college students scurrying around with tea towels, trying to mop up the copious amounts of blood on the floor. Head wounds bleed a lot, you know. Uh, they had not learned much yet about real Christian reality. Barry took off, and I did not see him for several days. I was in my youth pastor's office at the church at my desk, and a shadowy, a shadowy figure appeared in the doorway, and sort of in silhouette. It was Barry. He was sort of hunching and trying to be menacing. He said, I'm splitting, but before I do... 
I'm going to sort some people out and you will be the first. Now I knew his brother was in jail for assault and Barry himself had a black belt in karate. Um, (laughs) It was not a nice situation to be in. I kicked back my chair and standing up at the same time and I said, you don't intimidate me. And this is this, this is the authority coming, coming over me. You know, in the natural, I had everything to be really scared stiff of this guy. He wasn't a big guy, but he, I, I knew he, he could be mean. And he came from a mean background. Um, I said, greater is he who is in me than he who is in you. And I said, beginning to walk towards him, I have, I have power too, he shouted. I have come under a master. Now, a lot of people don't realise that when you're in karate, you have to come under a master. If you're going to get anywhere in karate, you have to come under a master. So it's a supernatural thing that you submit to a master. And those masters are demonic, of course, but they do give power, power to do all kinds of amazing things in, uh, in that world. I continued to advance on him with a smile on my face, I felt a bit unusual. I was pointing my finger at him and saying, Spirit of violence, I command you to be silent now in the name of Jesus. But by this time, Barry had backed out the back door, uh, the door of my office rather, and across the lobby of the church and backed into a steel pole that was holding up part of the building. And at that, he went down into a fetal position and started weeping. Like he was, he was afraid of me. I, I was pointing my finger at him, um, just telling him how much I was not intimidated. I was pointing my finger at the demon. I wasn't worried about Barry at all, but about this thing that was in him. And and he was afraid. Now I'm only a little guy, as you can see now. I'm only a little guy, so from that point of view, he was a black belt karate. So he had nothing really to be afraid of, but he was scared. And I was surprised at just how scared he was. And he went down into this sort of like a fetal position, you know, crouched mm. down. Um, <clears throat> and he said to he he, he uh, started crying. I mean, to see a black belt karate guy start crying was really yeah. amazing. <laughs> so I took him into my office and and started to minister to him and cast this thing out of him and take him through repentance and repenting from giving himself into karate, coming under a master. Coming under, allowing spiritual powers to come into his life that shouldn't be there, and and um, and here's something really interesting that he said when he came free. He said this. He says, um, he says, Dave, do you remember when I threatened you and you stood and you kicked back to your chair? I said, yeah. He said, after that, I never saw you. All I saw was this huge blue creature that was as high as the roof, touching the roof. And inside I felt like this, and he went down into this fetal position. position. He said, inside I felt like this, I was so scared. Um, and I have no idea what that was, perhaps an angel or something. But, I, you know, I suppose it would be an angel, some sort of thing that was sent along to protect me. How awesome. Wow. I mean, how awesome. Many years later, when I was a pastor at the Greenland Christian Fellowship, I, I moved, I changed churches and went to a, a much bigger church. And we were meeting at the time in the Auckland Town Hall. And I was preaching on a Sunday night there in the Town Hall. 
and and I used this illustration to try and illustrate something that I was I used a story about Barry, um, and at the end of the service, um, I, I was ministering to a few people, and then later on, this guy comes up to me. I hardly recognise him, but it was Barry. Wow. Um, his name was Barry Taylor, and I use his name with, with uh, because he said I could, and he said. I used to be a no-hoper, um, oh, at least he said. He was, he used to be a no-hoper, bound-for-jail type of guy. Um, and he said to me at the end of the service, he came up to me and said that he would substantiate every word I said if required to. So he walked up, this was years and years later, and I hadn't seen him in that time because I'd gone to a completely different church. Um, and he said, I said, well, what are you doing now? And he said, he said he was now a lecturer at AUT teaching advanced computer science. Isn't God amazing? That's so awesome. I mean, he was a no-hoper bound for, you know, prison somewhere like his brother. Yeah. And, and God came in, set him free, transformed, turned him around, and now he was, you know, had a great job. Yeah. Making lots of money uh, and using it, but... Mm. Oh, isn't that great? And he happened to be in the church, in the town hall at the time I talked about him. I mean, true, incredible, eh? Hey, can I ask about the karate? Um, so is, would you say that karate, I mean, I, that's the first time I've really thought about the whole master part of a karate, of yeah. people that study well, karate. All martial, all martial arts, the same situation. Yeah. It? So would you say that they're... Demonic or to... Absolutely. So people shouldn't... Start. Listen, I've I prayed with many, many, many young people who have been into martial arts mm. and it's got a hold of a particular area in their life. I mean, some were Christian, some weren't, but um, it will grab a hold of a particular area of your life. And Satan is an interesting character. He uses sort of... Uh, Catchy, catchy, catchy quickly. With women, it's other things like, um, uh, like in magazines, you know, in, in women's magazines, they come in through horoscopes and all kinds of things like that. And they, he, he starts gently pulling you in, pulling you in, pulling you in. Um, but you certainly can't go anywhere in, in the martial arts world without, without coming under mm. a spiritual force, a right. spiritual master. Yeah. And uh, it it's just a it's just a, a trap for young players, you know. It really so, is. So, what about people that are listening now, and they they might have been doing karate for years, or at judo, or whatever it is? Well, do you think that they should it, continue? Or? It, it, no, definitely not. And what's more, it needs to be renounced. It re, the, renounce the you know, and ask for forgiveness and repent of coming under that thing and entering in. may have done it in ignorance. Most people do it in total ignorance. They don't mm. deliberately can't go walk into the occult world. Yeah. But the occult world grows and grows and grows, and you yeah. come in through one door and many doors open in front mm. of you into the occult world. And, mm. and um, I've had to cast out many, many spirits of, uh, like I did with this guy. Yeah. And, and it came out. When I took him through renunciation, I renounce the, the spirit of violence. I renounce that comes through karate. I renounce martial arts. I renounce them. I ask you to forgive me, Jesus, and set me free from it. And once he'd, that's the legal requirement of coming free. 
And once he had done that, then I was able to take authority directly over the spirit uh, and cast it out. And it came out mm. with a bit of a, a bit of a shriek and a, you know whatever. Wow. Um, and so many, many situations like that. I was a youth pastor in a Baptist church. Now, most Baptist churches hardly believe in the things of, mm. of the spirit. I'm putting them down for that. I was 25 years in the Baptist church. But um, I was sort of, me and the team were sort of the only ones who could move in things of the Spirit. And because of that, and possibly because they began to realize that we believed in them and, and the supernatural forces around, that they didn't bother hiding so much and they would begin to manifest in people all around us. Mm. And what do you do? You know, I mean, I. I never, I never liked deliverance much. You know, it was sort of a bit scary and a bit over there. Mm. I remember when Bill Sabrisky used to do it; it was a bit over there, and uh, I could see it from a distance. And I'm glad he was doing it, and it wasn't me. Mm. Um, but then there was nobody else, so you had to, I had to bite the bullet and get in there, use the authority that which I knew God had given us. Mm. It's one thing to be given authority, it's another thing to actually get up and use it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh it is amazing the authority that's in the name of Jesus. Mm. You know, it's just oh see Jesus said, uh, all authority has been given unto me, therefore go. Mm. Um and uh that, that's that's an amazing statement, you know. All mm. authority is given unto me. And, of course, when we receive Jesus into our lives, we get that authority and we have it. Mm. It's like he also said, I have given you the keys of the kingdom. Yeah. Whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Mm. It's like me giving you a set of keys. Um, uh so we can ask Jesus to do these things or ask God to do this. And ask, but he says he's given you the keys of the kingdom. Mm. So you take them. And until you take those keys and use them, you really, you yeah. know, he can, he can be giving it to you as much as he likes. Mm. But until you take those keys and use them, turn the keys, mm. use the authority, and yeah. you begin to see the power of God begin to move around you, you know, and, which is quite yeah. a new experience <clears throat> for me. Mm. Um, Man. Exciting, yeah. That's definitely the first time I've uh, heard about martial arts. Oh wow! In that sense, and I have to have to really, really um, think on that and make sure that you know you're praying and because it would be more than that as well. You know, like the different things that you subject yourself to. Yeah, there'll be lots, lots more than just martial arts, won't there? Of course, even um, unforgiveness when somebody hurts us. Mm. Um, you remember the Lord's Prayer. In the middle of it, um, it talks about forgiving others, uh, or at least God forgiving us as we've forgiven others. Mm. And straight after that prayer, he he draws it out again, about two verses down from it. Mm. And he, of the all the things he could have brought out of that prayer, he re-emphasized, if you won't forgive, I, I won't forgive you. I mean, yeah. that's... Extraordinary statement. Yeah. If you won't forgive, then I won't forgive you. Yeah. Because we have experienced so much forgiveness um, from Him, mm. um, should be forgiving others because God is a God of relationship, and and we have the Spirit of Christ in us. Right. Right. So, like, how do you have 
essentially the spirit of forgiveness in you without forgiving. Illustration, another story. Unforgiveness can be a huge blockage to deliverance and an entry point to spirits into our lives. One Saturday morning as a guest, I was teaching a discipleship course at a nearby church. I had been explaining the many entry points that demons can have in our lives and the influence they can have on us, even as Christians. And at the end of the session, I asked if any had a problem with compulsions or any of the symptoms I had described, which you need deliverance from. A young man of about 18 years came forward and he said he had acute claustrophobia. He always had to sit on the end of a church pew and he also had to travel in a car with all the windows down um, and it had plagued him since he was a boy. So I took authority over the spirit of claustrophobia and it began to manifest immediately. Uh, It talked back and it was not coming out and as much as I kicked it around with the authority I knew I had, it refused to budge. It said it had a right to be there. Satan is a real legalist, you know. And if he thinks he's got a right in your life, he will, he will, you know, he will st- stick around as long as he can. Then the Lord spoke to me. I asked him what significant thing had happened to him when he was eight years old. He replied that he and his brother were playing hide and seek, and his brother had locked him in a cupboard and forgot about him for several hours. Trapped inside, he'd become very angry. His reaction to this was the entry point, not the locking in the cupboard. I told him he had to forgive his brother for locking him in. I led him in a prayer of forgiveness and the release of his brother from all his resentment and judgment, deserved as it may have been. God is still the judge, not us. Mm. I then took authority over the spirit and told it that it had now heard his repentance and it no longer had a right to be in this young man's life. With a bit of a shake of his, of his body, the spirit left him. He started jumping up and down with his hands in the air. and He said, I am free, I am free, he shouted. And he said, come with me. And he called and led about 20 of us who were in that little discipleship group outside to his car. With his key, he opened the boot, he climbed in, pulled it shut over his head, not the behaviour of somebody who suffered from acute claustrophobia. Um, We could all hear singing coming from within the car boot. It was a song about Jesus setting him free. Wow. Uh, Now note, it was really unforgiveness at the base of this young man's trouble, not claustrophobia. Uh, Whenever we violate God's specific instructions, like you must forgive, Uh, It gives a legal right for spiritual forces to control a part of our lives. Not all of our lives, but that specific part. Mm. Um, Often, I can remember Bill Sabrisky often talking about uh, about our being, our body. uh, Like The Bible talks about the rooms of the belly, using King James, the rooms of the belly, or like a a house. Our body is like a house. And we can invite... um, we can invite the Holy Spirit or God into the living room to come in and occupy the living room, but sometimes there's some rooms that we hold the door shut mm. <laughs> because we don't want them to go in there. And in there could be a demon, a spirit, or a, a, a sin that we, we don't really want to give up to God yet. 
uh, and it gives authority for for the enemy to be in a part of our lives, even though we're a Christian. It's a foothold. Yeah, a foothold mm. in there, and so that 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 demonic being doesn't have control over all of your life because God's God's in much of it or most of it, if you like, but He's got a legal right to be to covering that area, and He will mm. push and push and push in that area and bring in condemnation mm. because you're failing in that area. And how many of us? We don't fail in a lot of our lives, but boy, in one particular area, that's where he gets us. You know? Man, yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Um, yeah. a, f- a friend of mine, he um was demonically uh, delivered, um, and uh, he he told me about it. I had another friend that was with him at the time, and he also confirmed uh, the story. But um, he said that. All his life, he's been. He, he would look at women and he would lust after them, and and he'd have these thoughts. Um, on, as as does every guy. Yeah, yeah, but th- <laughs> this this must have been on a different level as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Um, he was yeah lusting after um, quite intensely, but he had done it his whole life. And then he was at um, a a prayer meeting, and then all of a sudden started manifesting, blacked out. Apparently, he was. Uh, shaking and and talking and things like that, and then when he f- became conscious, he looked up and he said, "For the first time in my life, my mind is silent." So his thoughts, these demons were like you know you know the whole demon and angel on your shoulders. Yeah, he said that that's pretty accurate. Like yeah. that's pretty much what was happening to him, and he had no idea. That's so fine. he had thought. That these thoughts were his thoughts. Right. I try to say that ten times quick. <laughs> he thought these thoughts were his thoughts. <laughs> and he was like, wow, for the first time my mind is quiet. And he said, and he could say, thank you, Jesus, like in his mind and nothing would disturb him. Well, that's where the battleground is. Yeah. And that's where the enemy gets in there, puts in those thoughts. and mm. well, You know, we all have thoughts, but whether we own them or not is another question. Yeah. We can, we can just chuck them out. Mm. You know, when we're moving in, in 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 the spirit, we can just say, "No, I don't receive those thoughts. I, mm. you know, I chuck them out in the name of Jesus." Yeah, the Bible says, "Take captive your thoughts." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a, a there's a lot of wisdom in that because you know it's it's your before any action, there's a thought to do that action. Yeah. So if you take cap, if you if you destroy the root before you can do any of those actions, that yeah. won't you know sin fully growing as death. So before even developing the action of sinning, you're stomping it out and stamping yeah. it out yeah. by taking captive your thoughts. Yeah, It's the root. And you can only do it by walking in the Spirit. Um, dealing with the flesh mm. is a difficult one for every person, particularly for guys in this realm, in this area. Uh, dealing with the flesh. And, and in Galatians 5... And excuse me, but I'm a te- I'm a teacher. That's good, <laughs> and it comes out all the time. Uh, spiritually speaking, technically, technically, I'm a more technical sort of a person. Uh, started TV stations, done all that sort of stuff, you know. Um, but spiritually speaking, my gifting is is I believe is that of a teacher, and so I tend to go that way all the time. But in Galatians five, there's two lists. One is a list of the flesh. It's got all great long list of things that which which come from our flesh, things that we do naturally. 
And then there's another list, which which is the list of the fruits of the Spirit, mm. which come if we let God work in our lives. Mm. Um, he he will he will make those fruit appear in our lives if we give him we surrender to him in each of those areas. And so there's these two lists. You're you're either doing one list or you're doing the other. Mm. And um, the interesting thing is that there's a verse in the middle there that says that the only way we can defeat the fruits of the flesh, all of these all of these things that we'll do, is by walking in the spirit. It says if 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 you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Mm. If you walk in the spirit, and a lot of people struggle and they think, oh, if I put down the flesh, if I do that, then I'll be walking in the spirit. But it doesn't say that at all. It says, if you walk in the Spirit, mm. then you will not fulfill the lusts of the yeah. flesh. So it's, it's, not, li- it's not making your flesh submit. It's just submitting to the Spirit. Yeah. And then it will just naturally. It's learning how to walk in the Spirit. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole subject in itself. Mm. Learning how to walk in the Spirit in obedience and, uh, and in faith. Yeah. Um, you know how your mind speaks to your body? Yes. So it's like that. That's the way round it works. It's the, I mean, I suppose your body can speak to your mind as well, like I'm hungry and things like that. But in that sense of like the control, you know, it's your mind speaking to your body. Would you say that if you go even further inwards, it would be if you allowed your spirit to speak to your mind, yes. to speak to your body? Absolutely. It would, it would go that through that. Absolutely, revelation, yeah. real revelation from God. Mm. Is into your spirit, yeah. Okay, so and I've learned this over the years. In my experience, is that God will speak into my spirit, and if I listen and learn, I'm listening for that still small voice mm. as He speaks to me, gives me revelation. Then it will overflow into my mind, yeah, and in, then into my body, yeah. Um, you're not sort of you don't want to have your mind choosing what your spirit is telling you. Uh, it doesn't work that way, does the, it? Completely yeah. the other way, yeah. You didn't think so. Completely the other way, yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, yeah. that's huge. I didn't. I had never thought of it that way until right now. You know, yeah. That's why I love doing this sort of thing is <laughs> you, suddenly, you get these little nuggets of, of, of amazing revelation. You're like, whoa, that's awesome. <laughs> Yes, it is, and that's why it's important. Remember in John 4, there's a teacher coming out again. Uh, John 4, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people know the story, and they, they talk about the story, how she was, uh, she'd had five husbands, and uh, she was sleeping with some guy now who wasn't her husband, and she thought it was a big revelation when Jesus did all this, and so she responds with a, with a religious question, like often we do. When there's something, you know, I mean, what he just said to her was amazing, was powerful. But she comes back with a religious question and said, well, we Samaritans, you know, we think we should worship this way. And, and the Jews, they think we should worship this way. You know, what do you say? You know, and he said, well, technically salvation will come through the Jews mm. uh, because he had chosen to do it that way. He said, but listen, God is spirit mm. and he's looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. In truth, yeah. Now, and, he, and he said something really zany. He said, a time is coming and now is. Now, you think about that as a phrase. 
Mm. What does that mean? A time is coming, that's future, and now is. Uh, when, when people will worship from their spirit. Uh, only, in God, only, only Jesus or God could, could make a statement like that, which is you try to get your head around, what does that mean? Mm. But when you look at God looking at the timeline, mm. at God's timeline, I mean, here, here's the beginning of the world and here's the end of the world, and he can see, see both, or he, he can plan both. He has mm. planned both. Uh, and now here's Jesus talking to this woman at the well, and just around the corner mm. he's going to die for the sin of man. And the Holy Spirit can then come into people. Mm. And he, he gives the Holy Spirit gives the gifts, and people can speak from the Spirit mm. then. And so he's able to say, well, a time is coming, like it's only, it's, only mm. it's not very far away now. In terms of this whole timeline, it's really, the time is coming and it now is. Mm. Um, and, and he says this, and, and so he talked about what would happen when the Holy Spirit was given to the church, and all of a sudden you see people uh, speaking in tongues. Um, whenever, if you read mm. through the whole book of Acts, whenever the Holy Spirit fell on people, they all speak in tongues. They don't go through the other gifts. Mm. They speak in tongues. Okay, yeah. that's because it's not a gift where they. It's a personal gift at that point. It's a manifestation mm. of the spirit. The other gifts are to the body, given to the body through people. But in this case, it's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, and people begin to speak in tongues. Sometimes prophesy, but it's he gives. And remember, Jesus said, "God is spirit." And he's looking for people who will worship him in spirit mm. and in truth. And uh, Paul later on in Corinthians says, When I speak in a tongue, my spirit prays. Mm. The corollary of that is when I, if I don't speak in a tongue, my spirit doesn't get to pray. Mm. And then he has a conclusion in uh it's this one Corinthians fourteen, verse about fourteen and fifteen, where he says, "He says, what shall I do then?" He, he has this big, this big thing about praying with your understanding and praying with your mm. uh, with your spirit, mm. which you don't understand when you do it. He says, "What shall I do then?" He said, "I'll do both." He said, "I'll pray with my spirit and I'll pray with my understanding." And so yeah. here's Paul later on separating these two things out. Mm. Completely, just as Jesus did when he did spoke to the woman at the well, mm. spirit and truth, mm. and then he said, "I also sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the understanding." Mm. Both, both are necessary, not one or the other. Yeah, and uh, so again, amazing things, amazing that that Jesus could make that incredible prophecy before he died. Yeah. And people don't see it as such. They see the story of the woman at the well. But he, he says, well, a time is coming and now is when. Mm. Yeah. And it, it was an amazing, one of the most profound things Jesus ever said. That's so yeah. good. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. Um, I mean, we should probably we should probably get back to your testimony. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so... Uh, tell me, tell me a little bit about those, like those later years. Did you, um, you're being youth pastor for a little while, um, and you obviously saw God move in many different ways. Yeah. And w- when was the next 
chapter of your life when it was sort of, all right, here's another event when, when I really saw God move and it brought me closer to him? Probably an important thing I should really share is how I went from just being, how could you describe it, just an ordinary Christian with God in my life and power coming into my life, how I, how I moved in those things, how God came in. Mm. and Because he promised that he would give us power. He promised the Holy Spirit would come in. Mm. And um, I was brought up in Baptist and Brethren circles who didn't really believe in the power of the Holy Spirit today in this world. They believed in all the things and the gifts of the Spirit, etc., in in the Bible and uh, in, in Jesus' time and Paul's time, but they didn't really believe it for here and now, and that's the way I've been brought up. So I was brought up with a lot of negative teaching on the Holy Spirit and a lot of mm. heavy, heavy doctrinal teaching. It was like a big blockage in my head. Um, so I'll, I'll share what what really happened when I was still about uh, about 18 or 19. Uh, I was at Hillsborough Baptist on a Sunday night. All those around me had their hands raised in worship. Uh, Graham Skeets, a friend of mine next to me, seemed to be in a place that I longed for in worship. They were all worshipping from a place deep down, and I was extremely jealous. Even after I had decided that this baptism with the Holy Spirit was for me, and I wanted to sing in tongues as they were doing, it was six long years before I had a breakthrough. Even after I totally believed it was for me. Mm. It was such a hard thing, and I got prayed for by all the heavies at the time. You know, all of the people were thought to be super spiritual pastors and things in Auckland. I was taken to all of these guys, and just as I thought, nothing happened. Mm. Just as I expected. Nothing happened, you know, that's part of yeah. the problem, I guess. So what was the major block? Unbelief. Unbelief. Yeah, it? it will happen for all of these people, and that's fine for them. Yeah. But it's not never going to happen for me. You were expecting it to not happen. That's right. And that's why it didn't happen. I've got to make sure I don't just nod, because no one can see me nodding to you. <laughs> I love the, the quote, whether you believe it will or won't, you're right. <laughs> It's good. Um, And such is the entrenchment of years of negative teaching and unbelief. I knew almost nothing about the human spirit. Uh, Even though I've been brought up in, you know, in church most of my life, how many sermons had I heard on the human spirit? No, you don't get get many. Mm. It's really interesting if you do a word study on the word spirit, little less, (coughs) the human spirit. and what the Bible has to say about it. It's, it's, it's enlightening when you do a word study on mm. spirit, little less. Um, years later, I was boggled at how ignorant I was of the scriptures. I was prayed for the heavies, um, and finally, in tears, I asked God to translate. I so much wanted to speak in tongues to God. I asked God to translate any baby language or sounds I would make into a love language that came from my heart to his, from my spirit to his. So one night, as Bill Sabrisky prayed over me at a meeting in his home, I opened my mouth and began to speak. It was nothing special, but I had exercised my will 
to try and get past my unbelief. <laughs> Just use my will. I'm gonna do it. And sometimes um, the, our human nature wants to uh, control our mouth, and it wants everything that comes out of our mouth to first go through our mind and be sieved by our mind, by our intellect. Mm. And it's real arrogance, you know. And God wants to, see, he wants to use my mouth to speak from my spirit. He wants my spirit to Mm. speak out through my mouth. But the mind is saying, no, you won't. You will do, you will only say what I tell you to say, you know. Mm. We have such an arrogance of the human nature, our natural natural mind. Um, So this was nothing special. I I did it and... and, um, didn't think much of it. it. Was no big, no big happening. No big, you know, no lights went on, no flashes or anything. Like I've seen other people have amazing experiences, but this wasn't me. This was straight hard faith doing it because the word of God says it, you know. Mm. And uh, trying to break through my own unbelief. Um, now the next night. I was out on a, a job in, in Kumu at a chipboard factory doing noise control. I was working at the time for a, a noise consultant. And I was up a high tower with my boss taking noise measurements, all the, measuring all the noise coming out of it so we could pinpoint exactly what was making the racket in this factory because it was getting into trouble with his neighbours. Uh, now, I have no problems with heights. Uh and I could do crazy things at heights. I was an apprentice boat builder at one stage, and I could go hand over hand along uh, up along gantries and all kinds of things. No problem with heights at all. But I was up this really good structure. It had walkways and handrails and everything. But I suddenly found myself white knuckling, you know, gripping the gripping the rails so tight, my fingers were going white. Um, and I was thinking, what's going on here? Um, and I suddenly remembered, uh, because I was struggling with so much fear at this moment, I suddenly remembered that Bill Sabrisky had said that sometimes he would be driving along and a spirit of fear would attack him. And in those times he would pray in tongues and it would go. So I think, thinking to myself, <laughs> well, I'm going to do this because this is obviously spirit of fear because I'm not afraid. I'm mm. not afraid of heights. And here I am, I'm Scared out of my brain, uh, in, in a fairly safe environment. We just scared that that it, it wouldn't work. Like scared that, I mean, you, you wanted because no, you wanted to remain an authentic Christian. Of course, you never wanted to just like pretend to speak in tongues. No, so, it, no. What I'm saying is, I was up the top of this tower, afraid right. of the height. And all of a sudden, you know, it was it was it was it was not normal for me because mm. I, I I was used to heights. You know, I mm. could do anything at heights, and all of a sudden, I was afraid of heights. Mm. So I knew it had to come, be coming from the enemy. And into my mind came this thing of Bill must have said at some time uh, that he'd be driving along, and suddenly he, uh, fear would come upon him. He'd mm. pray in tongues, and it would go. And so I thought, well, I'm going to do that. Right. It could only happen the night before. Yeah. And it seemed like nothing. It seemed like it, did, it was no big deal, you know. Mm. And I was, you sort of question it. Your mind is mm. questioning the whole thing. Um, 
And I began to speak out in tongues, out loud. <laughs> out loud. This, look this, at that. this thing that I did the night before, I just started to, well, I'm going to do it, and spoke out in tongues because Bill said when yeah. he did it, it went. So I started speaking in tongues. My boss sort of looked sideways at me. Fortunately, he was a Christian boss, <laughs> and he was charismatic. So, um, And instantly I was free from the fear, was gone. Wow. And I could do handstands up there now, no worry at all. I realized that God had allowed this attack to show me, yes, last night tongues were real as I allowed my spirit to express itself Mm. in love to God. Come on. Uh, I had severed the control that my mind had over my mouth and was now speaking from a different place from my spirit. Mm. I did not then know that this is exactly what Paul said in Corinthians 14, that this is how my spirit prays. For the last 20 years, I had not allowed my spirit to pray. The natural mind is so arrogant. Wow. Wow. and as I said before, much later I discovered Paul said in verse 15 that he would pray with his spirit and with his mind, and he would both sing with it. So from then on, a whole new world of the spirit opened up to me, and I discovered what supernatural ministry was. Before that, I didn't really know what was supernatural, doing something supernaturally was, or any of the gifts of the spirit. I wasn't functioning in them at all. But from that time on, I began slowly to begin to believe God and believe that the gifts of the Spirit were for today mm. and they're for, for me to use for other people. They weren't gifts for me. They were gifts that God could use through me for other people. Come on, yeah. Um, and so that just opened up. And more importantly, I could draw close to the Holy Spirit as I shared with him from my spirit. Remember mm. that verse in John for where he said, I'm looking for people that who will worship me in spirit and in truth. Mm. So the second half of me was loosed. Yeah. And oh big, big time now. Now now I can be I can be I can be driving, I can be uh, any doing anything and I can just speak in tongues. Mm. I can be thinking something else and I can still be speaking in tongues. So it's coming from a different place. Mm. Uh which is you know it's awesome. so releasing and so setting you free and something that God planned for us to have mm. a direct communication spirit to spirit mm. uh, that that He wanted. That's so true. He's looking for people who will worship Him that way, mm. from spirit direct mm. and with our mind. He wants our minds to be changed, and because He wants truth to come in there instead of all the lies. But the so, revelation comes from our spirit into our mind. It's true. If we were to reverse engineer our makeup as being made in the same image and likeness as God, that he's a triune being, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that so are we, um, you know, mind, spirit, and body. And if you think about it, you know, Jesus says, I don't say anything except what the Father tells me to say. And um, that he can communicate with the Holy Spirit and, and, and when we look at ourselves, if we're made up of a of a triune uh, sort of makeup, then you're saying that I can be thinking one thing in my mind, yeah. yet speaking another thing in my spirit, yeah. and it's that's like two persons. 
doing two different things. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, like two parts of your yeah. triune being doing yeah. different things. And it's just, it's just so cool to see that. Yeah. Um, cause we are made to be Christ-like and, and essentially we're sons and daughters of the living God. Wasn't that an amazing thing for Jesus to say though? God is spirit. Yeah. I mean, it's a powerful thing to say. Hey, God is spirit. What are you messing around with all this religious stuff? Mm. God is spirit. He wants you to worship him both in truth and in spirit. Yeah. Uh, don't come at me with all of this Samaritan Jewish stuff. You know, God wants to communicate directly with us. Yeah. That's yeah. so good. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. Um, David, did you want to share anything else right before we wrap up? Or No, no, that's, that's great. That's hey, great. Isn't God good? God is great. You know, I would like to say I am a walking, talking, living example of a faithful God yeah. coming to an ordinary bloke. Come on. And 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 when we mean business with him, he is faithful. Sometimes I've been unfaithful, to be quite honest with you, mm. but he's remained faithful mm. and, and he's proven. He answered that prayer way back in Wellington, mm. that if I mean business with him, he would mean business with me and he would bring experiences into my life. Now I can, I can speak with conviction like I'm speaking to you now, but it comes from experiencing what an incredible God he is and that, that what he said in his word is true. Come on. Absolutely true, yeah. That's so cool. Awesome. Well, thank you, David, uh, for, for sharing. You know, today I, I think... It's, I, I love how organized you are. You know, you got it all written down, and um, now it's recorded in a, in a new way as well. Yeah, amen. And uh, I know that it's going to bless so many people all around the world. And um, yeah, I just think you're an amazing guy, David. And God's used you so well, and um, that you're you're still running running so hard for Him. And yeah, it's awesome. Just so so cool to see it. It's it's quite inspiring. Um, so yeah, I I just pray a million blessings over you, David. Thank and you, bro. Yeah, thank you for joining us. I hope everybody listening really enjoyed this episode as much as I did, and I uh, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Jesus Magnet Podcast. If you enjoyed this, make sure that you connect with us. Find us on Facebook, on Instagram, and if you want to support us, be a member of our coffee club, Jesus Magnet Coffee Club. See you next time on the Jesus Magnet.